You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Welcome to a Tuesday edition of Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. I'm Wes Goldberg, and I'm here with Ben Golliver from the Washington Post. On today's show, the NBA tries to crack down on tampering. Michael Jordan is selling a piece of the Hornets, and Markel Fultz, for some reason, gets paid. But let's start with Team USA, who, after a disappointing finish in the FIBA World Cup, faces a ton of questions about the team heading into the Olympics next summer. The 7th place finish was the worst ever for Team USA, and there are two main things to blame, a lack of both experience and talent. Clearly, Team USA needs to get some of its stars involved, but Ben, after so many of them left them hanging this summer, should Team USA even welcome them back? No, that was an embarrassing showing. There's no question about it. It was kind of all of uh, USA basketball's worst fears being confirmed. I thought the big takeaway from the tournament, though, was just the the lesson of the power of commitment that Spain was able to put on for Team USA. Like you mentioned, so many of the USA guys either one foot in, one foot out, or they just kind of fell by the wayside late in the process. For Spain, it was exactly the opposite, and that's why they won the tournament, because they had all these guys, not just Marcus Gasol, uh, but Ricky Rubio, Sergio Yule, uh, you know, Rudy Fernandez. I mean, the list goes on of these guys who have committed to playing for that program in tournament after tournament after tournament for the better part of a decade in some of these cases. And for Spain, that's why that victory was so sweet. They finally were able to break through after being kind of the bridesmaids against the United States for years and years and years. I think for USA, what they should do in absorbing this lesson is realize it's time for a new core. They've got to be able to sort of uh, mimic that Spanish model or even what if you want to call it the LeBron James, Carmelo Anthony, Dwayne Wade model uh, from maybe 10 years ago with USA Basketball and really form a group of guys who want to represent their country and who want to you know, have the potential to be big time superstar players. I'm telling you this much uh, right now. If I had my choice of any guy to be sort of the the number one face of that kind of a, a program uh, for an under 25 player, it's Zion Williamson. He plays multiple positions. He plays hard. He's about the team. He understands unselfish uh, two-way basketball. He's highly marketable. He'd get people excited. He would have everybody tuning in uh, to these World Cup and Olympic Games. If he was even just uh, coming off the bench for a few minutes, uh, everyone would want to see the show. So to me... The future of USA basketball should start with a full-fledged recruitment of Zion Williamson. Get him in the mix. Hopefully, you can attract some other young, talented guy, maybe maybe John Morant, Jaron Jackson Jr., put these players together, and try to ride those guys for multiple tournaments, and, and hopefully you get back into the gold medal mix. Well, the other thing that they need, in addition to yeah, a core where you can build some stability, build a foundation on that you can add chemistry and continuity to, but... I mean, these numbers are bad, Ben. 13th in the tournament in three-point shooting. Eighth in scoring. I mean, Kemba Walker was the Team USA's leading scorer with 14.4 points per game. That was 28th best in the entire tournament. They couldn't score. And it seemed like every time they were trying to get a bucket, it was a contested bucket. Everything was a challenge. Everything was in the dirt. And they need somebody that can go out there and get them easy buckets. You mentioned Dwayne Wade. I mean, Kevin Durant was able to get easy buckets. They didn't have a guy... Because you've got, you know, James Harden and all these guys that are pulling out of this thing who make a living off of getting points, and they just don't have a guy like that. Now, Kemba Walker did an okay job, but it kind of felt like it was the Charlotte Hornets 2.0 all over again, where he had no help sometimes. And every once in a while, Donovan Mitchell stepped up, and he helped, and you could argue he was the best player. But everything he does is really tough, too, and that's kind of his brand of basketball. They need somebody to go in there and get easy buckets. It doesn't help that Jason Tatum... uh, 
you know, had his injury and, and he makes things harder than they need to be anyway. But no, uh, your, your point is dead on here, Wes, because the gap between like those top five level playmakers, the LeBron, Steph Curry, James Harden, Kevin Durant, that type of player and the next tier, you know, which I would probably put Kemba Walker into that group and Donovan Mitchell, uh, you know, somewhere back behind sure. that is just so vast. And I think USA right. basketball got spoiled a little bit because they were never short on playmaking in any of these tournaments, you know, going back to, you know, once LeBron really stepped into his own in those 2008 Olympics. I mean, they've always had those, you know, premier A-list playmakers, and they just didn't have it on this group. The offense was really inconsistent and choppy. The ball did not move nearly well enough from Team USA. And that was another, you know, real stark contrast. I mean, you see the ball movement from Spain because they've had that continuity factor, because they've played together, because they have a proven passing big man in a Marcus Saul who's able to run pick and rolls and just, you know, pirouette, you know, almost do a 360, kick the ball out to wide open three-point shooters just because he has that chemistry with those players, you know, built up over years and years. Uh, you know, their offense is humming right along and they're winning in blowout fashion, going completely undefeated through the entire tournament. That's where the USA should be. And I don't want to well, hear do you think any... That they, do you think that they could do that? Do you think that they can get to the chemistry point? Because Team USA historically has sort of just churned around stars over and over again. You know, they, they'll they'll compete for, you know, about a four-year span and then and then it's sort of a new crop. Can they really build that? I mean... Marcus I, I hope so. Ricky Rubio have been playing for a decade on that team. I hope so. I mean, these guys should be signing up for like six-year cycles at minimum, multiple Olympics. I mean, I think that that's what the focus should be is on the Olympics. Mm-hmm. Clearly, that's the most prestigious tournament. But they, uh, you know, the USA basketball, there should be no excuses, okay? They should dominate and they should captivate. In this tournament, they went 0 for 2. I really hope next summer they're able to go 2 for 2 because it's a bad look for a country. It's it's a bad look for all of the players. You know, I really wish some of these younger USA basketball players who did not participate in China at least took the time to watch Ricky Rubio get that MVP trophy, to watch Marcus Saul just with this huge gleeful smile on his face as he's talking about what an amazing summer he's had. If they could watch Rudy Fernandez hold that trophy up over his head as all the confetti's falling on him. Because, man, that was a pretty powerful argument in favor of why you should go over and compete in these tournaments because these guys were having the time of their lives. And I think that that opportunity is still available for NBA guys. I'm just kind of sick of the excuses. I don't know if the shoe companies need to step in. I don't know if uh, some of these uh, you know NBA players just need to cut against the grain and, and be willing to sacrifice in a way that some of their colleagues aren't. But we're talking about you know a couple week, three week, four week commitment in some cases. I mean, just go over there and do it. I, you're going to be able to expand your platform, your name recognition. Uh, you're going to be able to restore a little pride to USA basketball after what was a really ugly tournament there in China. Uh, I hope that Jerry Colangelo, Greg Popovich, and company have higher level stars to choose from next summer. There are there there are politics to consider here, though, against a full revamp of Team USA because they face a tough balancing act. On one hand, they, they have to be a lot better than that Motley crew that they trotted out in China, right? On the other hand, you don't want to send a message that competing in the World Cup doesn't matter at all because you could end up with a situation where Team USA just stinks every World Cup because the stars, the superstars, know that they could just hold out and still participate in the more prestigious event with the Olympics. And so they need to pick and choose some of those guys who really showed a commitment to Team USA. Now, you don't need all the Plumleys of the world on your, on your Olympic roster, but you need, to, you need to, you know, take the Miles Turners and the Donovan Mitchells, the Kembas, and, and still give them at least an inside track or the right of refusal for the Olympic squad and then build your stars on top of that. Or, to your point, 
maybe you just revamp with younger guys. I do worry, though, is the Olympics the best time to give Zion Williamson and Jaron Jackson, John, like those sort of guys, their first world tournament experience? Because the Olympics is a big stage. That's a big stage. And if you, get, if you just sort of hand the reins over to this and get a commitment even for a six-year type of cycle like you were talking about, it's going to take a little while, right? Spain, they were you know bronze medaling at best for years. No, I hear what you're saying, but look, this is a crisis, man. Seventh place in the world for USA basketball is completely unacceptable. So I understand the idea. But wouldn't it all get fixed if just James Harden and Damian Lillard just were the that was the backcourt? Wouldn't it all get fixed right then and there? Well, and that's what I'm saying. I would give those guys those spots. I wouldn't be worried about holding on any spots for this guys uh, that uh, played in China. Now, look, some of those players are going to be good enough and qualified enough and play kind of high demand positions and have you know certain skill sets where they're going to probably sneak on next summer. Like I'm thinking about like a Miles Turner or Donovan Mitchell. I mean, those guys, uh, they're definitely growing players. Uh, they're definitely guys who bring something different to the table uh, than just you know your average guy in that group, and they're probably going to be able to you know get themselves into that roster, but I don't think we need to be playing favorites. I don't think that there needs to be any sort of equity involved with this group. Look, they tried uh, and they failed miserably. And like, I don't think that we need to beat around the bush about that. I know a lot of people want to go easy on these guys and say, Hey, it's a C-list team. What do you expect? They still have the most number of NBA players. They still have multiple all-stars. They still have a lot of starters in the NBA. Um, and they did not play to their own expectations, I'm sure, or to outside expectations as well. Uh, but no, I would go star hunting if I was USA Basketball. My first call, as I mentioned, would be Zion. Uh, my second call would be LeBron James. I, I would want the victory tour with him because uh, I think that if, if he was in, I think that would bring a lot of other guys potentially in the mix. Uh, and if you had a situation where LeBron and Zion are on the same Olympic team, now you're breaking the internet. And that's what USA Basketball should be doing. The standard should be What's the best dream team that these guys can uh, put together? What's the most star power? How do you captivate people? How do you get them tuning in? How do you get them sort of overshadowing all the other Olympic events uh, with their mastery of the sport? Uh, That's what the USA basketball program should be looking for. Uh, You know, they tried to scrap it out this summer. More power to them. You know, I I respect their approach. They were dealt a very, uh, you know, tough, uh, you know, hand. But, you know, next summer they got to be doing better. They got to go get an all-star center too because they got beat in the paint. Coming up next, the NBA is proposing new rules against tampering. Will it work? You're listening to Locked On NBA. Mack Weldon is better than whatever you're wearing right now. For 20% off your first order, visit MacWeldon.com and enter the promo code Locked On. The Magic have picked up Markel Fultz's option for next season. We'll talk about that later on in the show. But first, the NBA is looking to further crack down on tampering, proposing a new top fine of $10 bucks for teams suspected of contacting players under contract with other teams. Other proposals, which will go to the Board of Governors this Friday, include an anonymous tip line team employees can use to report violations, randomly selected audits throughout the year, and prohibiting players from inducing players under contract to request trades. Ben, the league had to do something. But do you think ramping up the fines could work? Well, I think there's a lot of logic to what they decided to do. Sometimes they take on these investigations and you just wonder where it's going to go. And I think every single thing that you just laid out seems sensible. It seems like in extreme situations, if people were really you know, flouting the rules and, and the laws, uh, that could lead to some actual you know, punishments and, and some uh, situations where the league would actually be able to catch some offenders. My one concern here, though, is when you raise the fines, 
are you going to create a, a system of haves and have nots, right? Because we know there are some owners out there that are just unbelievably wealthy and cutthroat and sort of willing to do whatever it takes to get players, right? Um, I'm not sure they're going to be dissuaded by a $10 million fine. However, we also know there's some owners out there whose commitment, you know, might not quite be on that same level. They don't want to pay luxury taxes. Maybe they're stuck in a small market. Uh, maybe their franchises aren't worth, you know, two or three billion dollars like some of the, you know, the highest profile NBA franchises are now becoming worth. In that scenario, I could see them looking at these, you know, tampering rules and being like, "All right, this is too rich for my blood." You know, we're not even going to come close, uh, you know, to anything that might be deemed illegal. And that w- that's where I would worry is is do these rules have the unintended effect of sort of uh, opening the door for the most aggressive owners to kind of continue business as usual, knowing that they can just kind of pay the fines as a write-off and discouraging maybe the the less advantaged owners from being able to participate in the stuff that's usually been swept under the rug. The luxury tax comparison is a really good one because you won't, I think by and large, most teams won't do it but like, just like the luxury tax, right? But then you see a team like the Warriors where, you're, where you have this window and they're just happy to pay the luxury tax because they have this window. So if you're a team that already has one or two star players under contract and you're like, well, we only need one more piece. And you know who has that great piece? That team has that great piece that we need. Let's tamper a little bit and go get that piece. We'll, deal with, we'll, we'll write off that $10 million check because we just got you know, another top 20 player, it was worth it because now we've just opened up this title window for us or expanded it or whatever. Uh, so yeah, it might be something just like that. Uh, first of all, they should call that that prohibiting players from inducing players under contract to request trades. They should call that the Anthony Davis rule. Can we just call that the Anthony Davis rule going forward? Um, but this is a good first step. I don't know really what else the NBA can do other than being big brother here. It's essentially like random drug testing you know, with the fear of getting caught and having to cough up a bunch of cash, you know, are there going to be teams that still take the chance and try to get away with it? Sure. But just like people still use drugs and ban substances, uh, it's it's going to happen. But overall, I'd like to think that the random drug testing has curbed some of that. And, and, and hoping, I'm hoping that these rules do the same thing because it's it's got to stop. I know I, this summer was a lot of fun and it gave us a lot to talk about. But if the NBA turns into this snow globe every summer... I think it's going to be really harmful for the league. Well, I think the other thing that we learned, and this is you know some data from ESPN, but they're saying basically the, since the last time the fines were touched uh, in terms of the total amount that you could be fined for tampering, uh, you know, league revenue has increased six hundred percent and franchise value has increased eleven hundred percent because they haven't really changed the fine since nineteen ninety six. So that told right. me like the NBA made its own bed here, right? Like they were just right. a little bit too slow to act and to update things, and so. I see real no real counter argument why you you wouldn't go through with these proposals. Um, it just seems like a, a matter of uh, you know being a little bit past due. It's going to be what five five anonymous uh, or five random sort of tests a year. They may have to ramp that up. I don't know, but you're right. It's it's a real it's a good first step. It's, there's no arguments against it. I just hope it works. You know they. You know, Magic Johnson was very publicly, you know, punished for his very public tampering that he was doing. I think that sort of created this this panic that oh, can anybody just tamper? Oh, you're just gonna you're gonna pay this fine that hasn't been updated since 1996. Like Magic Johnson cares because he's a billionaire. Uh, none of that mattered. So hopefully now it matters. A lot of new money is coming into the NBA too, and you would imagine that with all this new money coming into the NBA, 
a lot of these owners are going to want to see a little bit of return on investment before they start paying, writing these $10 million checks too, right? So uh, this should help. I just wonder if it's going to help enough. And I more, more importantly, I wonder if this is really going to stop players from tampering because that's a lot harder to govern. I know that there is going to be a rule here going to the Board of Governors Friday. I still, you know, you've got these Olympics, you've got the World Cups, you have the All-Star Games. It, you know, the player tampering is probably still going to happen, even if it's not to the level, like the degree to which we saw the Anthony Davis shenanigans go down. It's still going to happen. So I don't know that it's, yeah, there's, but there's I, always going to be wiggle room. Right. But it's still a win from the NBA's perspective. Look, I don't think you're ever going to be able to police the player on player stuff to the degree that they would want to. Um, but I think having it occur in a more private setting, having it occur uh, not in public view where it's dragging out and kind of, you know, corrupting seasons of multiple franchises, both the Lakers and the Pelicans wound up kind of being, uh, you know, sabotaged by the public aspect of that courtship. I think that's better for everyone involved. And, uh, you know, that doesn't mean it's never going to leak out that guys have certain plans or this guy wants to play with this guy. I think sometimes those rumors can be, you know, juicy and, and intoxicating, and get people talking and, and thinking. But when they become a uh, persistent aspect of the conversation when they follow franchises, when they overshadow franchises, when they lead to players being shut down mid-season. Um, I think that's really when there's a lot of damage being done to the sport, especially when it's very high-profile players. And uh, to me, anything you can do to prevent it from being in the public eye as much as possible, you should do. And I think that's what the NBA has done here. And when op- when free agency opens up and you've got 48 contracts signed within the first 90 seconds. That's a bad look, too, because everybody sort of knows what's going on. You're right. It overshadows. All this stuff sort of overshadowed everything last year. And as much attention as it drummed up for the NBA, I don't think that that's the attention they necessarily wanted. They want the attention more to be on the game. Well, Wes, um, let me ask you this, though. If you could be Adam Silver, if you could, would you trade all of the public stuff for having all of those deals lined up ready to go on July 1? Like if the deal was, look... Uh, everything has to be out of the public eye. We can't have uh, these distractions. You guys have to play by these new rules. However, if everyone's going to you know, line up the deals and on July 1 and we just have 200 signings in the first hour and that's just how it is, doesn't that look like a more playing field? Like, Wouldn't you take that trade-off if you were the NBA? I, I think the, 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 the solution here is that you open up this weird barrier. Like you open up this, this time slot where everybody can negotiate their contracts and then you have the official announcement time where so you could still get that race to the to the finish line sort of deal and then that huge you know explosion of contracts happening all over the bottom ticker you could do all of that but at le- but you can at least i don't know fake it and say hey for this 48 hour period everybody can negotiate everything and then you let all the contracts roll through after that 48 hour period i don't know if it's something like that but you got to you still obviously if you're Adam Silver want all of that attention and want all that excitement over the offseason and keep this a 12-month sport the way it is. Buy or sell is next. You're listening to Locked On NBA. We wrap up today's show with a game of buy or sell. Let's start in Charlotte, where Michael Jordan has agreed to sell a large piece of the Hornets to two New York-based investors. The sale expected to close in the next few weeks. A source told the Charlotte Observer that the deal does not involve Jordan giving up majority ownership of the franchise and is instead about finding minority owners who can help bring fresh ideas and technology to the organization. Ben, are you buying or selling the reasoning here, considering that the Hornets could be the worst team in basketball next season? No, come on. The reasoning is M-O-N-E-Y. I mean, that's all it comes down to. Michael Jordan has uh, you know, seen his 
the value of his stake in the Hornet, uh, Hornets increased considerably during his ownership tenure. He has never paid the luxury tax. He's never had much postseason success, uh, but the franchise valuations just keep going up and up and up. And I think he's in a situation where he's cashing out a little bit. Uh, he does retain control of the franchise. Uh, but I think, you know, one thing that we've got to question is, you know, what's his passion like for this team, right? How much does he really care compared to the average owner? Because when he was a player, everyone knows, I mean, it's part of the man, the myth, the legend, right? Nobody cared about winning as much as Michael Jordan. Can we say that right now in terms of ownership? I don't think so. When I think about the most competitive owners, I think of guys like Steve Ballmer. Uh, I think of guys like Mark Cuban. I think of like the Celtics ownership group, um, the Warriors ownership group, of course. And Michael Jordan, I mean, he might be bottom five right now in terms of what he's willing to do to put a winning product on the court. So we'll see if spreading out some of the ownership stakes puts him into a situation or or puts them as an organization into a situation where they're able to really uh, invest on a high level and do what it takes to win. But I mean, they're a long way off from being competitive, uh, you know, with their current roster. I mean, it's going to be a very choppy couple years for the Hornets. There's no doubt about it. I feel bad for their season ticket holders. I'm not sure why you know, you would attend a game uh, this coming season. Like, what's the reason that gets you in the door? I think that's a tough spot to be in as a franchise. So I think, you know, bottom line here, it's a financial win for Michael Jordan. There's no doubt. And I think everything else, it's kind of a loss with that organization. You're right. That's the one he cares about right now is the financial wins because he's got nothing else to prove in basketball. He's already won six of them. He's got nothing else to prove. You talk about a guy like Steve Ballmer who has succeeded in one business but has a lot to prove. In basketball, you know, you could argue he's never won a championship, obviously, so he's got a lot to prove. I mean, Michael Jordan's got nothing else to prove. I mean, I'm selling the idea that he doesn't, that that he no longer wants to have control of the team, but I am buying the idea that he's looking to cushion himself, considering that this team could be very, very bad for a very, very long time. I mean, before Kemba Walker, the last All Star player for the Hornets was Gerald Wallace in 2010, they, and I think they've only had one other All Star player uh, since the turn of the century. And so All-Stars don't make their way through Charlotte a whole lot. And, and they may not have another one coming in anytime soon. I mean, they have no idea who's even going to be the leading scorer this coming season. So if you're MJ... Yeah. No, it's so yeah. bad. I mean, doesn't MJ almost have to just take a tampering fine to prove to his fan base he still cares? I mean, <laughs> yeah. come on. Yeah, just tamper for uh, Steph Curry. Um, I mean, But yeah, bring in other investments. That's good. Create that cushion for yourself, MJ. And look, be smart about it. Bring in guys who have other ideas, who can be a little bit more refreshing and, yeah, maybe have something to prove like those other owners that we're talking about because they need to change something there. Let's go to Orlando where the Magic have picked up Markel Fultz's fourth-year option worth $12.3 million. Are you buying or selling the move to keep him for all that money, Ben? I mean, I wouldn't have done it. I think people sometimes get confused with these options and they think this option is applying to the upcoming 2019-2020 season. That's not the case. They picked up his option for the 2020 21 season and so not only are you on the hook for that 12 million that you mentioned next year uh, but you know you're already paying him like 9.7 for this coming season he's a player who hasn't been able to stay on the court he's gotten some pretty positive buzz here in LA in terms of his workouts you know being willing to to shoot in front of strangers and, and occasionally cameras I mean that's a real you know step of progress for him based on how these last couple of seasons have gone but um, I think Orlando is unique, uniquely situated to to uh, give him this option. 
just because they don't have tons of big contracts on their books. They've got a lot of young players on rookie deals. They're not going to be a big time free agent destination. You know, they really haven't been, uh, you know, in, in decades practically. So they've got some wiggle room and clearly they, you know, traded for him with the purpose of rehabilitating his career and hopefully, you know, stumbling into kind of some found gold there. Uh, but I'm just still a Markel Fultz skeptic. You know, I, I liked him coming out of college, as most people did. Everything since then has been an absolute mess. I haven't seen the commitment to the game. I haven't seen him play at Summer League. Uh, you know, I haven't seen him do the kinds of things young players in his situation should be doing. Uh, and so, uh, to me, that $12.3 million gamble that you're talking about, it's just too rich for my blood. Nobody's ever made more money off of one season. His one season at Washington than Markel Fultz has. I mean, it's it's insane. I mean, this is a guy who's played just 33 games in his first two seasons. He spent the majority of his career under a cloud of questions and concerns. Uh, but it's also true that the Magic traded assets for him, and they knew this option was coming, right? This was not a surprise for them. Orlando doesn't have any cap space going forward. And so if they wanted to keep him, this was probably the best way to do it. You could have let him enter restricted for agency, but that gets dicey. I mean, if you wanted to keep him, now you got him. You've got him locked in for two more years. DJ Augustin, by the way, is the starting point guard in Orlando. Fultz is going to have an opportunity there. And, and hopefully knowing that he's taken care of financially, hopefully that will relieve some of the pressure that he's clearly had a problem dealing with. So just take that. I mean, not that he hasn't gotten paid before, but he's locked in for the, 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 the entirety of this rookie-scale contract. So maybe he can just focus on basketball. I don't know. If you're the Magic, that's the best-case scenario. That's what you're hoping for. NBA agents are pushing back against the NCAA's certification process to represent college athletes wanting to test the NBA draft, saying, quote, competent, established, and experienced agents have no incentive to subject themselves to this legislation and its overly burdensome procedures and oversight, end quote. Ben, are you buying or selling what the agents are saying here? I'm with the agents. I mean, I'm almost always against the NCAA. It felt like a huge overreach that wasn't very well thought out on their part. There's a real power struggle that's coming down uh, you know, the pike in terms of you know, once the NBA gets into uh, the preps to pros part two era, you know, what's the NCAA's role going to be in all of this? Uh, and to me, the less that they have their fingerprints on basketball, the better, the more that the NBA and NBA player agents are able to kind of, you know, dictate the future of talented teenagers, the better to me. So on this one, uh, I think it's kind of open and shut. How about you? Yeah, I, I'm kind of selling everybody involved here. I, I, I do think that the agents, for the majority, have the players' best interests at heart, at least, at least certainly more than NCAA does, for sure. But I'm selling the idea that these rules somehow impact the experience and established agents because those agents, by and large, aren't dealing with the players that these regulations have been put in place to deal with. I mean, the big agents aren't really dealing with these fringe guys who may or may not get drafted, right? They're, they're dealing with the top picks. I, and I get that some of the agents pushing back I get agents just pushing back on more layers of regulations. I understand that. And then from a, but especially from a governing body that it's sort of just new to this and routinely has no idea what's ever happening. But I'm selling the reason here. I'm buying, though, the agents pushing back against the NCAA. I think there needs to be some sort of regulations here. I don't know who comes up with it. Maybe the NBA needs to take that on. Maybe the agents need to self regulate and propose something to the NCAA because we know that whatever the NCAA does is going to be just wrong all the time. So something's got to give here. Um, but yeah, I just, there's such yeah, a, just, a large number of established agencies and there's so many guys who just kind of 
sign on to be the, you know clients with somebody else that they know from their area or some you know word of mouth uh, you know recruitment efforts that kind of thing where the you know the percentage of true NBA quality players who are being steered the wrong direction completely uh, by some shady you know wannabe agent uh, is pretty darn low and I do think it's nice to have rules and regulations to you know cut down on on uh, you know that quantity of players as much as you possibly can. I'm just not sure it's like this crisis point. And the way these rules are written, it makes it seem like the whole thing is a wild, wild west and it's crazy. And you know, that just doesn't really reflect reality to me. I think a lot of these guys, you know, the high school players are coming in much savvier than guys were, you know, 15, 20 years ago. I think they're coming in and being pitched by agents that, uh, you know, have influence across multiple different industries, whether it's entertainment, music, whatever it might be. Um, in ways that they just didn't 15 or 20 years ago. And, and so to me, it's kind of like the NCAA is living in its own reality. And, you know, the the actual, you know, professional basketball world has evolved in ways that they're just not privy to. Finally, on Wednesday, Miami Heat Center, Bam Adebayo will enter a cheeseburger eating contest with legendary competitive eater Kobayashi. The event will support a local food bank and will involve Bam trying to eat six burgers in five minutes while Kobayashi will eat 18 in five minutes. Ben, are you buying or selling Bam's chances to compete in this challenge? Look, can we just do Beyond Burgers? I mean, this is an awful lot of meat, okay? For a vegetarian, it's kind of making me sick to my stomach just even thinking about what these guys are doing and, and these poor animals. It just kind of you know breaks my heart a little bit. So I think, yeah, I'm out on the whole thing. Good luck to Bam Adebayo. It sounds like a fun promotion, but do them with Beyond Burgers or you know one of these other uh, yeah. meat alternatives. What about that? That that sounds great to me. I'm all in. My issue here is that Kobayashi is six, is five foot eight, 128 pounds. Bam Adebayo is six ten, 255 pounds. And yes, Ben, I did look up Kobayashi's stats here. Look, I don't care that Kobayashi's a pro. Bam is twice his size, and he, and Kobayashi's eating three times as many burgers as Bam. I'll be impressed if Bam eats six burgers and then asks for more. But like Bam with a mouthful of burgers. We're out of time. Remember to listen to and subscribe to new and archived episodes of Locked on NBA on Himalaya, as well as on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. If you're on iTunes, please leave us a review. Thanks for listening.